Introducing Wondersuite from Bluehost.com, the tool that makes WordPress wonderful for everyone. Website creation is hard, but now with Bluehost, you can answer a few simple questions about your business and goals, and the Wondersuite tools will automatically lay out your WordPress website or store in minutes. Seriously. From there, you can customize your design, pick your brand colors and add blocks, no custom theme or coding required. You'll get content suggestions that you can keep or revise. And with Yoast SEO built in, we automatically help you get found in search engines. From step-by-step guidance to suggested plugins to an AI powered help bot, our built-in tools make WordPress wonderful for everyone. Whether you're a beginner or a pro, you can join over 2 million Bluehost users. Go to bluehost.com slash wondersuite. That's bluehost.com slash wondersuite. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. All rise. Welcome to the Cyber Law and Business Report. Get the top story on the hot button internet legal topics of the day. This is your home for the latest on internet law and policy. Hear the latest net trends impacting business and have your questions answered right here. This is the Cyber Law and Business Report. Now, please welcome your host, the founder of the Internet Law Center, Bennett Kelly. Good morning and welcome to Cyber Law and Business Report. This is Bennett Kelly broadcasting live from the Internet Law Center here in Santa Monica, the heart of Silicon Beach. Please be seated. We have a great show for you today. Um, We have a a lot of news to discuss, but our feature segment today, we're going to be talking with Harry Nelson of Nelson Hardiman. And um, he is quite a unique and accomplished individual, um, a lawyer, an entrepreneur, and a thought leader in the field of digital medicine and um, digital health. We're seeing the internet revolutionize so many different industries, and one area that's often overlooked is its impact on the delivery and the the market for healthcare. And so we're going to be talking with um, Harry, and um, we're also going to have some updates on the news um, in in between commercial breaks, but um, we have one big update, of course, yesterday late yesterday or early today, we welcomed home Scott Kelly, um, the astronaut who spent over 300 days in space, and we welcome him home. He has the U.S. record for most consecutive days in space, and more importantly, his, um, his stay in space was very valuable for conducting research on the effects of space travel on the, the human body since his twin brother, also a, and fellow astronaut, um, Mark Kelly um, stayed here on um, planet Earth, and uh, they're going to be taking a lot of studies and seeing the impact um, the extended stay on Scott and com- be able to compare it to his twin brother. So um, congratulations to all of them on being reunited. Um, so, But without further ado, we have with us um, Harry Nelson. Harry, can you hear us? Yeah, it's, uh, great to be with you. Thank you. 
And uh, you're you're um you didn't quite have the same splashdown today as, <laughs> as Scott Kelly, but um, definitely welcome to the show. So tell us a little bit. Uh, great, about, great to be with you. Tell us a little bit about about you and your background, and, and how is it that you you came to get involved in a kind of this, this strange intersection of um, the healthcare and technology. Yeah, so um, uh, it's great to be with you. I, I might, so I, I'm a, a lawyer by training. I've been practicing for uh, 22 years, the last uh, not quite 15 in California. And I, uh, um, early in my career, I, I, uh, I had spent a summer in college in Washington, D.C., uh, and was fascinated by federal regulations and all these regulatory agencies that, that uh, really are the driving force uh, uh, in so many of the parts of our economy. And uh, I, I, I stumbled into uh, healthcare in the uh, early 90s when we were going through the, uh, the first big effort at federal healthcare reform, uh, representing mostly my, most of my work was on the provider side. And, uh, and, and, and coming, after coming to California, I, I, even though I work across the whole healthcare spectrum, uh, uh, a real driving piece of my practice has been um, the transformation around digital health and, and, and new new models of care delivery, new models of sort of evolve the way that healthcare is evolving uh, in connection with technology and 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 and, and all of the uh, uh, the availability of of uh, these revolutionary technologies uh, through through uh, uh, through the internet and through uh, through all of our our the IT backbone that we that, that, that's emerged. So anyway, so I so I've had the privilege of working with uh, many sort of cutting-edge companies uh, in areas like telehealth and, uh, and other parts of what, what we call uh, uh, digital, uh, digital health, uh, you know, think, uh, the, the, uh, which, is, which is, is telehealth is one piece of it, but other parts of it are just the, you know, the emerging artificial intelligence uh, in healthcare, telemonitoring, things like therapeutic virtual reality and robotics. Uh, you know, as they relate to how they how people use these technologies and 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 navigate through the maze of, of federal and state healthcare laws is sort of my the specialty that I uh, I've developed. And and so, um, what's an example when when you say telehealth? How do you? Uh, what's an example that people might understand, or maybe they have, may have been exposed to? Sure. So the the, the well the the, the most uh, the simplest uh, version of telehealth, which has been with us for a little over a decade, uh, and and people might think of companies like Teladoc uh, or Doctor on Demand or a, a local company like SnapMD that just began uh, re- provide for uh, synchronous video communications between a doctor and a patient that allow a doctor for to diagnose a patient and uh, treat the patient typically by prescribing medicine or other therapy across uh, an internet platform so that was that was sort of how it how it how it began and and that's all right that's a booming industry uh, 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 nationally and, and what we're seeing now is that telehealth is evolving into much more uh, you know, following the following the pattern of of, of consumer driven convenience uh, and and demands for services like Uber, uh, uh, you know, and, and other online uh, ease, uh, telehealth people are looking for uh, telehealth to be uh, allow with a few clicks of a smartphone uh, uh, to be uh, able to you know get a, a a medication, get a diagnosis, um, and so we're seeing a, a whole explosion of. Uh, telehealth for 
pets telehealth for uh, parents with uh, uh, with uh, babies having health issues telehealth for every little segment that you can imagine. So it's a, it's really an industry that's just uh, uh, and a part of the healthcare uh, spectrum that's just uh, uh, growing explosively. The the challenge here though is with we're talking about a space that's extremely regulated, and regulations right. serve two purposes, um, whether it's intentional or not. But one purpose, obviously, there's a there's a health, you know, a consumer protection aspect. But there's also sometimes regulations can have a kind of an anti-competitive aspect. It's designed to limit who practices or who does. Uh, certain things, maybe for good reason. You know, you you know, doctors. You want to have doctors meet certain criteria. You, you know, even veterinarians. But sometimes the criteria or um, things that are put in place may be equally designed to prevent competition, particularly within from an, an online um, service. And, and how, how have you have you encountered that? Yeah, so these are big issues that we work with. So, you, uh, Bennett, you really hit on two, the two sort of uh, uh, tensions on opposite side uh, 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 of the telehealth uh, 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 challenge. On one side is the patient safety issue, right? What, can, what, what, in what cases can we, uh, can, can, can we have? Let's, let's medication is the easiest place to, and probably the biggest category. But, but in what situations can we say that it's safe? For a doctor to prescribe a medicine to a patient, you know, can 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 you rely on my uh, Fitbit uh, recording and me telling you what what uh, what my heart rate is? Right. Uh, do you you know do you need me to be there in person? There's that side of the equation, and there's and there's legitimate reason to to care, right? In the 90s, in the early 2000s, we saw an uh, explosion of internet pharmacies and a real huge crackdown because people were dying. Uh, getting medications without a lot of controlled substances, without controls. So that's one side of the equation is we have to worry about patient safety. And then on the other side of the table, you have doctors and uh, health health professionals, health organizations that are worried about protecting themselves from competition. It's a very tricky issue because while we want to make sure that that patients are safe, uh, and while you know physicians or hospitals or nurses may have a interest in making sure that 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 nurses from a neighboring state or from another part of the country can't come into California, uh, that we're, we, you know, we don't, we, we only, we as a, uh, uh, from a public policy standpoint, we only want to protect, we want to make sure that, 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 that consumers are safe. We don't really, you know, the, there are narrow trade organizations that have very strong interests in limiting what doctors can do where, uh, but, uh, but those aren't necessarily in the public interest. And the Supreme no, Court, I- by the way, took this issue up two years ago. In the North Carolina dental case. If, and tell us about that. Do you, are you, can I, Please, yeah, go ahead. So, so in 2014, the, what happened was in the, two, in, the early, in the middle 2000s, teeth whitening became really changed as a business. And there were brick-and-mortar teeth whitening uh, places opening all over the country, and including in North Carolina. To, uh, uh, and they were, the, the, the technology around uh, uh, teeth whitening became much safer. And so you had all these non-dentists opening places, and the, and the dentists in North Carolina, the, the dental board, uh, you know, uh, said, we, we got to crack down on this. Only dentists can, can, can practice. And ultimately, that was challenged up to the Supreme Court. And the Supreme Court said uh, that antitrust laws apply uh, to the dental board. And they apply to all of the, pro- the professional licensing and trade organizations, right, is the, the, the implication of the case. And so as a result of that case, there's a new level of scrutiny of when the rules that limit who can do what in medicine are 
being applied. You know, are these rules that protect consumers and patients, or are these alternatively rules that just protect health professionals from competition? Now, we were talking yesterday offline, offline, and I mentioned a 2002 conference I went to that the FTC was having, and it was focusing on state regulations. You know, obviously could have uh, have some legitimate stated purpose, but primarily seem to be geared towards protecting, insulating um, offline businesses from competition from online. And they arranged the gamut, for example, from the inability to sell wine or alcohol online um, just because some states you know, had, had certain requirements in terms of how it was delivered, making sure it was delivered to a minor, it wasn't delivered to a minor, etc. Um, that's been a major battle. And um, even caskets. <laughs> you know, some states required just the selling a, a box um, you had to be a licensed, you know, undertaker or have some other type of um, qualification, and, and and they also talked about medicine, and there was particularly there was a, a strong case was made, particularly in rural areas, for the ability of you know doctors to serve underserved areas through technology that they wouldn't be able to reach, um, just you know, on a in, in the physical world, you know, the, you, know you can't. Uh, your doctor in New York cannot travel to North Dakota every day uh, or you know, wherever you, it is may be that the, the, the consumer may be. Oh, yeah. It's a, it, well, so it's, it's very interesting, right? The, yeah, these laws, the, uh, the, the laws uh, um, about, you know, it, it, it just the, the, all the laws around licensing professions and all these businesses are, lim- are at the state level. So we end up with a system where if you're licensed, if you're not licensed in, in this state, you can't treat patients in this state. And we're seeing some gradual efforts to make it easier for doctors to get licensed across multiple states. But, um, but it's still, these are, you know, these laws have, are, are, have been around for a long time. And, uh, and there's an extra complication in, in healthcare that, in, which is that in the, in the late 1800s, when, uh, when corporations were beginning uh, to appear on the on the scene, there were um, there was fear that corporations were also going to not take care of people's health, and we needed doctors who had you know taken a Hippocratic oath to be treating patients. So so we actually have laws in California and in most states that limit corporations that aren't owned by doctors exclusively by doctors or health professionals from from treating. So there's a lot of there's a lot of laws that on the state level that need to be updated to allow for the new uh, the new economy, and uh, it, and it's interesting. So you have you have some when you, you mentioned rural areas, and and a lot of when you, when you talk about telehealth as a vehicle to provide care to rural populations. Uh, um, that's that's an issue that everyone gets government and and, and everybody the, gets behind uh, because it's a problem, right? We have we don't have enough doctors uh, and healthcare providers to take care of America, particularly with the aging population. And and on the other hand, side of the table, you have telehealth and all these online comp- you know medicine that's that's sometimes portrayed as as like sort of what I call black hat telemedicine, where it's seen as uh, cutting corners and using shortcuts that are somehow endangering patient health and. Uh, uh, um, it's it's interesting because I think the dichotomy is a little bit false, but people you know people are uh, in general we we see uh, government loves to make telehealth easier if it's for people in in a rural area, but there there's a lot of anxiety around making you know high flying uh, technology companies uh, capable of treating patients uh, across the country. Well, um, we're going to talk a little bit more about how that comes into play and, and some examples. 
of um, some of the work that Harry has done in this area. Um, but first, we're going to take a short break and we're going to have messages from our sponsors. You're listening to Cyber Law and Business Report only on webmasterradio.fm. Stay tuned for more of the Cyber Law and Business Report after this brief recess for our sponsors. Conversion Conference, the can't-miss CRO event of 2016. Join over 750 people from dozens of countries gathering in Las Vegas, May 18th and 19th, for the biggest industry-wide conversion event ever. Four parallel tracks of top content will allow you to personalize the exact topics that you want to focus on, interact with expert speakers at informal networking events, and birds of a feather lunch table topics. Meet dozens of leading CRO companies face-to-face in the Expo Hall. Get hands-on with pre-conference workshops and master classes. Join us for fun activities such as zip lining and Tim Ash's after party in the presidential suite. Oh yeah, did we mention that it's in Vegas, baby? May 18th and 19th. Conversion Conference last year sold out fast and it's expected to sell out again. So don't miss it. Go to conversionconference.com for details right now. Reinventing keyword research, simplifying campaign optimization, redefining competitive analysis. SpyFu brings you an entirely new way to find the most profitable keywords for your SEO and PPC campaigns. New tools, new data, and a brand new look. We've streamlined SpyFu so that you can optimize your search engine marketing more efficiently, more accurately, and more intuitively. Visit SpyFu.com, that's S-P-Y-F-U.com, and start downloading your competitors' keywords now. Try it free. Looking for a white-label SEO and social platform for your clients? Think eBrands. Free and unlimited SEO audit reports. eBrands. Premium Facebook apps and welcome page creators. eBrands. Twitter management app, analytics, and mobile site generators. eBrands. Let eBrands manage your search and social media campaigns and give you and your clients access to their white-label dashboard, which have great reports that will wow your clients and deliver great ROI and results. Try eBrands for 30 days. Go to eBrandsWithAZ.com or call 1-866-625-5717. That's eBrandsWithAZ for eBrands. The best gavel-to-gavel legal news and information on the net is right here. This is the Cyber Law and Business Report, only on webmasterradio.fm. And we're back and we're talking to Harry Nelson about digital medicine. Um, but before we, we return to that, there, there's an update and development on the whole controversy over the U.S.-EU safe harbor. And um, just this week, the um, EU, EUS and the EU announced um, the details of the new privacy shield that's going to replace the safe harbor. And um, we have um, information on that and other news and background on Harry on our um, show notes, which are on our blog at cyberlawradio.wordpress.com. And next week, we will be having um, the former general counsel of the Department of Commerce, um, Cameron Kerry, to talk about um, the, the latest privacy controversy between the U.S. and the EU. He's now in private practice, and his firm authored a study comparing U.S. and EU privacy laws and found that quite actually our our privacy protections are quite comparable to what is afforded to the European Union members. But um, that'll be next week. But we're back now with Harry Nelson, Nelson Hardman. And we've been talking about digital medicine and and the ways it, it is changing how healthcare is delivered. And, and 
Harry, can you talk about some of the success stories you've, you've encountered? Uh, absolutely. So uh, we've been uh, work. We've worked with a number of of, of of companies that had models that had not been uh, uh, used before. And one that I, uh, I'd love to share. We worked with a number of companies. Uh, a company called Direct Dermatology and a company called Spruce Health on a model uh, in an area called teledermatology. And uh, what's interesting about it, teledermatology is obviously telehealth relating to dermatologic problems. And the area of teledermatology has been seen as a promising area for telehealth because dermatology problems tend not to be life-threatening in many cases, particularly uh, with many young people dealing with acne and, uh, and, and needing, needing uh, topical solutions. Uh, and, and that's not to take away from cases that are more serious, but it's the primary diagnostic tool is visualizing a skin lesion or a skin condition. And so it's ideally suited for treatment through uh, technology. Uh, and so we, some, the, the, the challenge is that I mentioned earlier that the tradition, the model of telehealth that first, uh, that first launched was what's called synchronous, where a doctor and a patient are on opposite sides of a platform. Think of, think of Skype, uh, except with, with uh, security uh, for data, data security and privacy, but, uh, but a live interaction. And so in, those, in, the, in these areas of teledermatology, the, 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 the ideal way to treat something is not for a doctor and patient to be um, looking at each other across a computer, but rather for an image for a patient to snap an image of a skin condition, send it to the doctor, and have the doctor examine it, make a diagnosis, and then treat it by prescribing. And so the challenge is that that's not a model that the early telehealth regulations around the country supported. We call that Today we call that model store and forward, meaning the image is taken, it's stored, and it's forwarded to the provider. So we worked with our clients uh, in a number of states to try and identify which states would be receptive to it, right? Part of the challenge is figuring out, is this, is this, are, we, are we operating in a state that is going to be hostile and is going to potentially send a warning letter or do worse, take action against a company or against a doctor for a brand new model? Uh, or is this a place that's going to be receptive to it? And so there are conversations that need to be had with state regulators and, uh, uh, and, there needs, and, 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 and some attention to both what, what's on the law and the books and also what the regulatory enforcement uh, environment is and working for legislative change and lobbying. So anyway, so that's, a, that's one uh, success story that we're uh, uh, proud of. We've worked on a number of store and forward telehealth projects to essentially get a blessing from states in a number of cases and in other cases simply to be able to give guidance to, to, to clients to say it's okay to operate in this state or in that state. There's one very interesting case on this point, by the way. So one of the challenges for telehealth in some states is that there are still laws on the books, not in California, but in a state like Texas, for example, that a doctor and a patient can't begin a new relationship uh, online. And so a teledoc, uh, which was one of the earliest uh, uh, telehealth providers, actually sued the medical board of the state of California last year, and there's a case pending to resolve whether uh, that's a, re- a reasonable requirement. And, and so that's, that's an issue, that's a very live issue in, in a number of other states, and one that we work with clients to uh, tackle 
and again, either to hopefully get a uh, permission from a state uh, or to ask forgiveness uh, for going ahead and, and offering a service that uh, that, are, that we're com- confident is safe, but that, that has not been blessed by state regulators. Now, it, you, the, the operative word is state regulators. And the, the field of medicine, like the field of law and, and many other fields, are regulated at the state level. And do you think that if there's, if there's an impediment, that this might be something you would have to deal with through the federal level? Or given that the entrenched interests that are in control at the state level are probably that much more powerful at the federal level, um, that, that wouldn't be fruitful? It's a great question, uh, Bennett. The, there's a real push-pull between federal and state, uh, federal and state regulatory uh, power. Yesterday, there was actually a very interesting Supreme Court case on health data, where uh, the fed- it was an unusual case where the state of Vermont was trying to collect health data uh, and requiring insurance companies to provide uh, health data. And there were some companies that were large self-funded in- employer uh, plans covered by a federal law called ERISA. And they said, nope, we're covered by federal law, so we don't have to report health data to the state. And the Supreme Court agreed with them. Uh, because at the end of the day, this, in this narrow area of, empl- of employer pensions uh, and health plans, the, if you're a self-funded plan, you're subject only to federal law. Uh, we have a long history in this country of medicine and healthcare being regulated primarily at the state level, right? We have laws like HIPAA and the Affordable Care Act that regulate. We have Medicare and Medicaid. So we have some important pieces of the federal landscape, but it's going to be very, very difficult, in my opinion, to overcome the historic uh, dominance of the states to, you know, to, in terms of regulating, in, in, in terms of delivery of healthcare services and deciding what's safe, you know, wh- who's allowed to deliver what service and what requirements there are. I think what we will see and what we're starting to see is the emergence of broad consensus pressuring, creating a pressure for states that don't follow a uniform practice. And I think eventually we're going to see sort of uniform acts uh, adopted in healthcare, but I think we're still a long way off, and we're still healthcare is still, in many ways, a very primitive industry from a legal standpoint. And that, that may be true, just because it's such an old profession and it's so resistant to change. Now, you and your practice, you, you're quite uh, just for the listeners. I, I, I know Harry. We were actually we we worked together in, in a, a group um, devoted to. Um, professionals in the Silicon Beach area and um, it's called Provisors and um, you know Harry is definitely well regarded in that space not just because of his work as a lawyer but you actually have become an entrepreneur and uh, a consultant and and trying to create new businesses in this space. Why don't you tell us a little bit about the the kind of the, the dual hats that you wear as both lawyer and entrepreneur? Sure. Yeah, thanks. I, so I, I, uh, you know, I found over the years that I was just a little bit frustrated with the constraints of just being a lawyer. You're right. The blessing that we have as lawyers is we get to see a lot of problems uh, and we get to problem solve with clients. But the problem is that we charge high hourly rates and uh, we, as a result, clients tend to only want to work with us 
on a when when problems really are serious when there's right. when there's a big need and they they don't and we don't get the opportunities to work proactively and to to address the sort of the need for systemic changes and for ongoing work and so over the years I got frustrated that I would think that I had given a client really great advice and then I talked to the client uh, uh, a few months later and I would find out that they had not been able to implement it and the the guidance that I was giving them wasn't enough and so uh, about six years ago I launched a business that's called Compliagent. Uh, it was originally called the Compliance Institute that basically offered technology and consulting solutions to uh, two healthcare companies and healthcare providers. And the idea was to create turnkey solutions for, uh, for compliance and also to create a, a workforce that was familiar, that understood uh, compliance, healthcare compliance challenges, but also uh, that 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 wasn't you know that didn't bill at uh, at, at, at hourly rates that other people would find right. uh, uh, obnoxious, and that we, and 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 we built teams, and we also were able to create multidisciplinary teams. We hired a doctor, nurses, technologists, facility administrators, and we found that we were able to. We needed the legal the legal uh, advice is a critical first step but it needs to be embedded in the team approach. And so we, we've, been, we've uh, been incredibly successful with that model. And then that, that success led uh, last year to a launch of a second group that's called RX4. And that was, we realized that the, the approach of, uh, of, of working with a multidisciplinary team uh, that, uh, to address broader challenges was great and was very well received when it came to risk issues and compliance topics, but that there were so many companies in, and this is really and the digital health was very much in our in our uh, in our thoughts when we did this. We weren't addressing strategic innovation questions, and so we created a similar group working on uh, consulting and technology solutions for to empower clients around uh, around innovation and that and, and that's innovation as it relates to marketing and strategy as it relates to finances and teamwork and and you mentioned the group that we're part of and one of the great blessings was that we've been able to as a result of of the uh, provisors and the silicon beach community we've been able to bring in a lot of incredible experts uh to, and and to apply that you know get connect them with the problems that the healthcare community and the digital health community are facing and, and work towards, uh, you know, better solutions. And, um, what has been the, the most rewarding part about doing this? Was it be able, is it the fact that you're able to show a new model or be able to kind of fully meet your client's needs? Cause you're not just operating for one silo or, you know, I, I feel like they, you know, the expression, if you walk around with a hammer, every problem looks like a nail. Right. Uh, the most rewarding part for me, the most rewarding part for me is that, uh, I think we all fall into that trap. We all, we all bring a skill set and, and we think we have the answer. And you know, we can't escape it. That's just part of what it means to right. be a professional and to, in some sense to be an expert on topic. Uh, but the real blessing for me has been to find, to, to feel like we've harnessed uh, the power of, uh, of, an of an incredible community of people who think differently about the same problems and the reception from, uh, from our clients has been uh, dramatic uh, and, and, and what's, it's really transformed relationships and people with whom I used to just give them legal advice once a month or every so often now are, uh, uh, I, I put them in touch with, uh, with, with, uh, with strategists and with 
people helping them on different parts of their business, and it really has changed the relationship. I, in some ways, I, I don't feel like a lawyer, even though that's what I do. I really feel like a problem solver and part of a, a really uh, effective collaborative of problem solvers uh, for, for at least for this industry. And that's to me, that's been the most uh, exciting, the most exciting uh, piece of the whole uh, journey. I think that's a very important point, and I often I like to. Just- call myself a problem solver too and I started my career working at a litigation shop and and sometimes you, you clients would get caught up in the litigation process and they would forget that they, they came to us for a problem and now instead of focusing on the problem and getting that resolved they were focusing on the, the result that this one process delivered you know litigation and um, I'm, I was mindful of the um, saying of Clausewitz, you know, the military historian that war is politics by other means. But at the end of the day, what you're seeking is a political solution. And and I tried to right. translate that into in, in the legal field by saying, you know, litigation is, is business by other means. And at the end of the day, we're looking for a business solution here. And it may, you know, winning the litigation, whatever that means, you know, getting a judgment or whatever, you know, however you define that, um, that that is not necessarily your main objective. Your main objective is to the business objective that led you to call me in the first place. And and that that's an important thing to remember. And I think a, a lot of people um, just they they like you said they they approach this with I have a hammer, and so I'm a litigator. I litigate, and I think it's important for lawyers to step back and say, no, I'm I'm a problem solver. And I'm sure that's why that's probably why you've been so successful. I feel like yeah, a hundred percent. I was going to add to your comment. I I feel like there's an enormous amount of fear. And anger, uh, you know, and frustration out there, and so one of the, and clients bring that sometimes to their projects, right? They're worried about they're worried about something, and in the litigation context, of course, it's the worst of all worlds, right? It, it's uh, uh, and often you have people who are pursue, who where all this emotion is bound up in the uh, you know in the conflict, and I feel like as lawyers, it's, there's a there's an op- it's an enormous opportunity to take people to a higher level. By letting them, helping them process, uh, in some way, I think there is a piece of uh, uh, of of being a, an effective counselor that requires you to be uh, able to help people sort of see the psychotherapeutic, you know, be psychotherapeutic, right. and and to help get get past the anger, get past the fear, and focus on the solution, uh, so the solution in their businesses, and ultimately uh, the solutions that are going to make life better, right? Uh, and, and so I, I, that's I. I found early in my career I had to find a way away from litigation, which is part of what led me to this uh, this path into the digital health world and to healthcare. And now digital health is growing. Is it is it siloed? Are there certain areas, you know, like by the NIH and, you know, the Bethesda corridor and D.C. or is it Silicon Valley? Is it down here in Southern California with Amgen and all the others? So it's a you know it's a multi this is a multi billion dollar space that's really exploding all over the place. We've been talking today mostly about telehealth, but there are there's a you know the, when people talk about digital health, we we talk we you think about things like electronic health records and all these this data uh, this data analysis and big data 
leading towards population health solutions, artificial intelligence, where we have ro- uh, computers that are actually cognitive and can get better at collecting data than than people than doctors, you know, and nurses taking people's temperatures. Uh, we have, and you think about uh, uh, even and at the extreme, prof- uh, this whole area of precision medicine, where we're going to have gene genomic matching for what uh, targeting for what medicines. Uh, people need to take and robotic technology. So it's an enormous world. It's a it's a it's a multi billion dollar space, uh, and it's uh, it's all, you see it all over the country. I would say that California is certainly in the lead, although we in Southern California have some catching up to do uh, uh, because there's about two billion dollars of uh, over two billion dollars of of deals by one estimate. Uh, last year in uh, in Northern California, in the Bay Area and Silicon Valley, and about about three to four hundred million in uh, Southern California. So uh, we've got a good base here. It's a national uh, a national market that's growing everywhere, but we've got some catching up to do. And what type of companies are getting funded or, or are succeeding? What is the niche they're usually finding? There's a whole. Well, there's a, a a really wide range of uh, of models. I mentioned Uber earlier, and we're seeing a lot of people who are you know, trying to become the Uber of healthcare or the Uber of one part of healthcare. So one interesting area, a uh, company that we're working with is uh, Home Hero. They're a local Santa Monica-based uh, company that's trying to be uh, essentially an Uber model for home care, uh, for home care attendants. And uh, uh, they received $23 million in venture funding. Uh, there was also a, they have a, a there was a similar company in that space in uh, Northern California called Honor that recently got a twenty million dollar funding. So there is a uh, so so that's that's certainly one area where where we're seeing a lot of uh, uh, of investment flow. And uh, there's a there's a, a huge amount of money going in in, in particularly in Orange County around uh, uh, medical devices and a, ho- a whole world of new technologies. Uh, some, I mean, the, one of the most amazing to me was uh, a company called Rewalk, which developed a, a, an exoskeleton for that allows paraplegics to walk. But it's just one example of the way that robotic technologies are are transforming uh, life for, for for patients and, and and are transforming how we do healthcare. Right? We have all these nano bots of little robots being injected into our bodies, and companies like that are are being often being funded into acquisitions by um, by some of the large uh, very large medical device and 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 and, and pharmaceutical companies uh, but uh, so there's there's really not a limit to what is getting uh, getting funded uh, it's 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 this this whole area is is one of the most explosive uh, areas of investment uh, you know uh, that we that we see now one thing this show is covered and is that is the whole gigabit um, city movement? You know, cities that have ultra broadband that can do a gigabit or more upload download speed, and and one of the benefits that has been cited as for having that speed because I mean speed is great, but what, what is the inherent value of just being able to do something faster? Well, one is productivity. But two is um, was said in the area of telemedicine that since a lot of the files that we're talking about, and you know, for example, X-rays, those are very large files, and to have the ability to be able to transfer these files quite rapidly, 
um, can then allow costs to come down because you can have someone review and analyze an X-ray uh, at a remote location that may be, you know, have, have, have lower overhead. And, um, and so by doing that, you're, you're expanding the reach of um, the in-person medicine by creating an um, extended satellite backend. Absolutely. By the way, so you make reference to doctors being remote in the case of teleradiology, right. but I would even say the bigger need for the, the bigger need for for gig cities is uh, is the fact that patients are are increasingly going to be remote. One of the trends that's happening with the aging of the population is that we have uh, enormous population with chronic health conditions, and their home, many of these people are homebound with things like diabetes and advanced heart disease. And what, we, what we're seeing is the emergence of all of these devices that connect to what we call the Internet of Things and transmit health data to healthcare providers who, who, who are, are also remote uh, and, and instead of traveling to get their blood pressure check, checked and their blood sugar. And, and so it becomes critical that we have enough bandwidth uh, to support uh, a, really a, this incredible exchange of data that's transforming what care, post-hospitalization care, and what care for people with chronic conditions, whether it's managing blood pressure, managing nutrition, what it looks like, right? Uh, as well as, and, and then if you talk about the healthier population, think about our iPhones, right? And the, uh, all of the uh, data that we're, people are trying to, to transmit. I, I recently, for my birthday, got a Fitbit, and I, I find uh, uh, I'm obsessed with the data, but we actually have cases of hospitals now, Cedar Sinai, for example, is using Fitbits in a uh, study to ensure that patients are well enough to undergo chemotherapy. Right. Wow. So we have all of uh, we have both. We have all we have we have all we have telehealth being used and telemonitoring. I would call that more telemonitoring, where it's just data as opposed to treatment online digitally. But but you have it happening for the aging population and the sickest people in our society. And you also have it happening with healthier people or those of us who are trying to be healthier. Uh, uh, and it's, uh, so there's a massive need for, uh, for, for, for broadband uh, uh, bandwidth. And uh, it's going to be, it's absolutely a, a critical piece of what our, the future of our, our cities and uh, communities look like. Well, that's really fascinating. Um, we're going to take a short break. We come back, we're going to wrap up and, um, you can tell us where we can learn more about you, and um, we'll have some quick news updates um, after these messages. You're listening to Cyberlaw Business Report only on WebmasterRadio.fm. Stay tuned for more of the Cyberlaw and Business Report after this brief recess for our sponsors. Hey, this is Danny Sullivan to talk to you about Bruce Clay Incorporated. They've made Inc. Magazine's list of growing private businesses and have exhibited and sponsored at my conferences since the very beginning. You've seen their search engine relationship chart or you've read their SEO code of ethics. So you know their SEO experts, but did you know they can help you with PBC, web analytics, web design, marketing strategy, promotion, and branding? Yep, get everything you need for success in the online marketplace. You can check it out from the professionals at Bruce Clay Incorporated. For over 10 years with offices worldwide, they've got the answers you need. Check them out today at BruceClay.com. Whether you are an online business or domain name investor, you need access to the best names. With over 270 million domains already registered, finding the right names at the best price requires a great wingman. Namejet.com puts you in the pilot seat by giving you fast and unparalleled access to some of the best premium and expired domain names on earth. 
As the number one domain name auction platform, Namejet.com is the best place to find domains for your business or investment. So light the afterburners to the domain name aftermarket and fly over to Namejet.com at box speed to get great domains today. Namejet.com. Is buying something that is made in the USA important to you? How do you know that it really is made in the USA? Certified Inc. is the only supply chain audit company on the planet which qualifies country of origin labeling. If it's important to you as a consumer to know where the products you buy and use in your own home come from, then it's also important for your customers. Visit us at madeinusa.net and find out more. Go to madeinusa.net because it's that important the best gavel to gavel legal news and information on the net is right here this is the cyber law and business report only on webmasterradio.fm and we're back and as i mentioned you can get information on harry and nelson hardman on our blog which is at cyberlawradio.wordpress.com and as always you can tell us what you think you can follow us on twitter at cyberlawradio and so harry um what what do you see as the next emerging thing what is the, what what should listeners be looking out for the uh um we're we're i think that we're this is going to be a big year for uh for for consumer driven healthcare market market options meaning you know we're all I, th- I would say that consumers as consumers we're we we tend to be uh relying on uh our insurance to help us find doctors uh and care and and that's important when it's catastrophic but the biggest thing to look for is this emerging marketplace of options where your copay or deductible from your insurance plan is going to be much more than it will cost you to find uh, care online. And so I would say people need to be, people, I think smart consumers will be looking uh, at the options and finding that you can actually get better attention, higher quality care out with an out-of-pocket cash pay relationship that you find online in, st- in, in place of your insurance. That would be my single biggest tip. Interesting. And um, one thing that I think that makes Harry stand out is, 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 is the multifaceted or multidisciplinary aspect of how he approaches things as not just a lawyer but as a businessman. But you're very big in um, promoting – you host an innovation roundtable at your firm. Can you tell us about that? Sure. I, one of the people I've been privileged to collaborate with is John Warner, uh, who, who runs RX4. And John, uh, John and I co-host and John uh, uh, leads an innovation group that meets on the second uh, Monday of every month in our office in West L.A., uh, an innovation affinity group. And uh, it's, a great, it's, it's a great opportunity to talk about uh, not only my focus of healthcare innovation, but innovation across all of uh, across our entire economy, we're having a program this coming uh, this coming uh, Monday, March 14th, on the topic of innovation in in law and professional services and the way that technology is changing is changing uh, the way that lawyers practice. So uh, it's a terrific group uh, that meets on the on the second Monday of every month. And uh, yeah, anybody who's interested uh, should uh, should contact me. I'd be glad to uh, uh, to have you come. No. Um in terms of if people want to learn more about you and your practice, where should they go? 
So uh, I appreciate it. So yeah, so I, I, my law firm has a, I have a, a blog and I write extensively on my law firm website, which is nelsonhardeman.com. And then I also, this past year, um, I started writing a personal blog uh, at, at harrynelson.com. And uh, so that I, I tend to use that to post more pieces on sort of the future of healthcare, and also have a real passion for leadership and organizational strategy and change management. So I, I've been writing uh, about uh, once or twice a week uh, on harrynelson.com. So those are probably the best places to, uh, to check me out. And, and Twitter is at Nelson Hardeman? The twi- there is, we do have one. My Twitter is at Nelson H. Uh, there's a Twitter feed on my, on harrynelson.com. Okay. Uh, for, uh, that's an easy place to check it. But, uh, but yeah, I'm on, I'm on Twitter. I, uh, uh, and, and the law firm is as well, but, but I, I've been, uh, I'm fairly active trying to stay, uh, keep people abreast of, of what's going on, uh, around, uh, around healthcare. And I think it's safe to say this is going to be, uh, continue to be an emerging field, just be, one, because of necessity. Um, where we have uh, a lot of challenges in healthcare, and and as we trying to reach people and able to make sure people have access to healthcare, but also I think there's the um, the the driving force of trying to control health costs, and if we can use technology to keep that down, then you know affordability is not that far off from accessibility. You know, the two are very much related. Yeah, absolutely. We, we're, we, America has the uh, not-so-proud designation of being the most expensive. We spend more on health care than any country in the world, and we have about the 37th best system by some measure. So, uh, so, so it's absolutely uh, technology and digital health are a huge, uh, a huge piece of the puzzle, in my opinion, of, of bringing, down, bringing down cost and improving quality at the same time, which is a, a big challenge ahead of us. And, and and on that point, you know, you just raised that you know, we're number thirty-seven, and yeah, <laughs> I, I don't recall many people making that <laughs> chant. We're in number thirty-seven, um, but it, are the in terms of your space, are there other countries that are doing telemedicine or doing the delivery of healthcare through technology better than we are? It's a great question. Well, there's a lot of activity uh, coming out of uh, Germany out of Israel, out of India. Those are sort of places that around the world that I think of as telehealth development innovation hotspots. We, we're actually hosting a delegation of mHealth uh, t- companies from Israel uh, who are in, in the United States for the, the big HIMSS health IT show in Las Vegas, which brings together 40,000 health IT professionals, where I'm actually heading as soon as we finish. Uh, uh, but so, so, so there's a lot. Those are kind of hotspots. And then in terms of the need for telehealth, I'd say... The entire developing world uh, is actually, uh, uh, you know, an incredible opportunity to improve healthcare in 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 South America, in Africa, and in poorer countries, which ironically have actually have cell networks, but are missing core healthcare infrastructure. Infrastructure. So right now we think of right doctors and dentists going over and doing medical missions in right. Central and South America and Africa. I, I actually think that we're going to look at a future where we'll be able to take on, on health problems much more systemically through, through telehealth in, in all of the developing world. And, and, and that's definitely a positive story. I think what a lot of people fear is the reverse, that um, medical services will be farmed out 
you know, outsourced to less developed countries and, country, and people will be getting potentially lower quality care. I will, I'm, I'll say, I'm going to say something that might be controversial, but uh, please do. I'll, I can, I, I can back this up. I can back this up. I, I, there's a pretty good chance if you have had a, uh, a, a CT scan or a, a PET uh, image taken at a, a local, at a major uh, hospital in the United States, there's a pretty good chance that your image has been viewed by somebody in Mumbai or in another part of South Asia, uh, because most uh, of our health system has very quietly behind the scenes shifted to using uh, radiologists in India and in Bangladesh and in other uh, countries to, uh, to, to screen these things. Now, they're still having – your image is still reviewed by a, a U.S. radiologist, but I, I, I think I'm sharing a dirty little secret of some of the big radiology providers in the country that they actually – we already rely upon a, thousands of, uh, of radiologists in, out from outside the United States to do a first check, right? And then what, the, what, what U.S. doctors are doing in, in radiology, and this is only one field where it's happening, is actually doing a confirming review. Uh, and, and it's a way of making sure patients are safe. But if you don't think that you're being treated by doctors outside the United States, you, you may be surprised. Well, you're, you're listening to the Cyber Law and Business Report. You're home for dirty little secrets. Um, Harry, I want to thank you for, for sharing that and, and for all your insights today. It's been a pleasure talking to you. And everyone, please you know, check out his blog and um, check him out on Twitter, Harry Nelson at Nelson Hardman. It's been a pleasure having you. Next week, um, we're going to have Cameron Carey's going to come back, um, the former general counsel of the Department of Commerce, to talk about where we stand on the U.S. and the EU Privacy Shield. Um, check out our blog for information on that, on Harry. Uh, news updates, congratulations to Without My Consent for releasing uh, a guide for image takedowns for revenge porn. And uh, also, Mark Randazzo, who's a friend of the show, he's written a great piece on whether the First Amendment is safe from Donald Trump. I, I agree with this piece and I actually wrote one myself. Um, those are on the blog as well. So um, thank you for joining us this first week, week of March. We're glad to have you. Um, tune in next week, same place, same time. We'll be here from the heart of Silicon Beach, giving you more insights on cyber law and business right here on Webmaster Radio FM. Be sure to check us out at the Internet Law Center at internetlawcenter.net. So this is Bennett Kelly saying have a great week. We'll be here next week with Cameron Carey talking about the EU privacy situation. Until then, be safe. Have a great week. Thank you, Bennett. Thank you. This has been a presentation of WebmasterRadio.fm, the world's largest business-to-business radio and podcast network. We welcome you to sample past episodes of this program, as well as our complete library of programs, on demand or on the air via our 24-7 live audio stream at www.WebmasterRadio.fm. The opinions expressed on this program are those of the guests and hosts and do not necessarily reflect those of WebmasterRadio.fm's management or sponsors. Any rebroadcast or redistribution without authorized consent of WebmasterRadio.fm is prohibited.
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.